Well, good morning again. You'll notice that we are not in the Psalms this morning. I know I've told many of you that we're going to be starting a series on the Psalms, and we will be starting a series on the Psalms, I promise. Uh, but we often do a, a short mini-series in January uh, where we talk about kind of the basics of what we do or who we are as a church. A few years ago, you may remember, we did a, a short series on the worship service and uh, explaining a bit of what we do and why we do it in the worship service. This year, we're going to talk about responding to God, and we're going to look at five, five ways that we respond to God. Uh, there's nothing magical about these five. Uh, it could have been two. We could have just talked about repentance and faith. Uh, it could have been three. We could have talked about repentance, faith, and obedience. Uh, it could have been ten, but, uh, but we're going to look at five ways that we respond to God. And these five really are a good summary of the Christian life in terms of how we relate to our Heavenly Father. Uh, we're obviously not going to say everything as we talk about these five things. Uh, and, and in one sense, we're not focusing on the gospel itself in each of these five things, but our response to the gospel. Right? How do we respond to God's grace? And so uh, we're not going to be directly looking at the work of Christ, but how we respond to His work. Of course, the gospel hopefully uh, informs and permeates everything we talk about and everything we do. It shapes the very way that we respond to God's grace. So that'll come in as we talk about these five things. These, uh, these five responses should characterize both us as individuals, but also as a community. And so it's important to think through these things and wrestle with them together. And so here are the five uh, key responses we're going to be looking at, that, that we, that I, that you, that each of us uh, must do, these five things. One, uh, listen to God's voice. That's what we're going to talk about today. Two, own our brokenness. Three, receive God's grace. Four, delight in God's smile. And five, give ourselves away. So each of the next five weeks, we'll talk about one of those things. Uh, this week, we're going to talk about listening to God's voice from Proverbs chapter 9. And before we read that chapter, let's pray together. Our Father, we do come to you to, to listen to your voice. We come to hear from you. Uh, we come to be taught from you. Uh, we pray that you would give us ears to hear uh, minds to understand, hearts to believe what you say in your word. We pray that you would uh, fill me with your spirit as I speak, fill us all with your spirit as we hear, uh, that, that we would hear your word and that you would change us by it, that you would draw us near to you uh, and conform us to the image of your son Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn and hear. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come and eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. 
Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days shall be multiplied, and years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. Life is confusing. I don't know about you, but I am often lost. Uh, I have no idea what's going on. Not sure which way is up. Sometimes I don't know what I should be doing. Confused about my priorities. And there are lots of people ready to tell me what my priorities should be. Competing concerns, competing voices. Uh, Maybe you know how it is. Maybe you have competing voices in your head as well. Your, your friends tell you one thing, your teachers tell you something else, your parents tell you one thing, your heart tells you something else, your boss tells you one thing, your wife tells you something else, your kids tell you one thing, the football game tells you something else, right? People and movies and songs and advertisements, news and politicians, whatever it is, there are these competing voices in our lives, each vying for our attention, vying for influence. Well, this morning I want to exhort you to listen to God's voice. That's really the primary application I want to make from our text this morning. Listen to God's voice. Now, before I get into the text, there's maybe one clarification of what I mean by that. What I mean by listen to God's voice uh, is not uh, go into your bedroom alone and just wait for some audible word from God. Now, God's word comes to us primarily in what we call a special revelation, which God, out of his mercy, has written down for us in the scriptures. Can we pray for the leading of the Spirit? Well, of course we can. But whether the Spirit leads us in some particular course of action or not, we are not without God's guidance, his voice, his word on the matter. We have everything we need in the scriptures. So when I say listen to God's voice, I mean heed the scriptures. Listen to God's word. Let God's written word be the voice that guides you in life. And with that, we'll turn to Proverbs chapter 9. And we're going to see four things. If you turn on the back of your bulletin, you'll see there's an outline there uh, with four points, four sort of steps along our way. We're going to see that there are two voices, two invitations, two ends, and three kinds of people. Two voices, two invitations, two ends, and three kinds of people. First, two voices. You may wonder, uh, Luke, if you're going to talk about God's word, why in the world would you choose this text? I mean, there are lots of texts that I could have chosen. Uh, Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse 8, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. 
James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Matthew 4.4, 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And there are many more. Right? There, there are dozens of places in Scripture which exalt God's Word, but I chose Proverbs chapter 9. Why? Well, uh, there are a couple of reasons. Uh, one is Proverbs 9 is about God's wisdom. It's not just about any wisdom. It's about God's wisdom. If, if, you, if we were to read Proverbs chapter 8, which comes before Proverbs 9, uh, wisdom says, wisdom says, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth, and it goes on. See, Proverbs 8 and 9 are about divine wisdom, God's wisdom. Uh, Proverbs 9, 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The essence and, and first principle of wisdom is knowing God. And so Proverbs 9 is this exhortation to partake of God's wisdom, to see the world rightly under God. And, and where do we find God's wisdom? We find it ultimately in his word. Second, we'll see that, that Proverbs 9 uh, as is the concluding chapter in the introduction to the book of Proverbs. And, and as such, it's an invitation to take up and read Proverbs 10 through 31. And so the basic application of Proverbs 9 is read the rest of the book of Proverbs. And it's a small step to say the same applies to the rest of God's word. Read God's word and become wise. So as, in as much as Proverbs 9 is an apologetic, so to speak, for the book of Proverbs, it's an apologetic for all of Scripture, all of God's word. Third, and, and this is really what drew me to this chapter, is this contrast between these two voices. I started out by saying there are many voices screaming for our attention. And of course, if you're a mom with young kids, you know that this is sometimes literally true. But when you cut through the clutter, there are really only two voices, the voice of God's wisdom and the voice of folly. And these voices are embodied symbolically in this chapter in these two women, the woman wisdom and the woman folly. You might call these two voices the voice of God and the voice of Satan, uh, the voice of truth or the voice of deception, the voice of heaven and the voice of this world, the voice of Jesus and the voice of the evil one. It doesn't matter what you call them. In the end, there are only these two, two and only two. They may be coming at us from a million different directions, a million different places, a million different people, but there are only two voices, wisdom and folly. And the question is, whose voice will you listen to? Well, let's take note of these two voices and uh, see what they have to say. These two voices are really two invitations. Uh, have you ever been invited someplace and, and by the invitation itself, you felt so loved, so, so wanted, so accepted that, that you were just blown away? I remember one time, I have a good friend of mine who was a kind of mentor back in, in Philly. And I remember the first time he invited uh, Deborah and I over for dinner and I was blown away, right? I looked up to this man. I mean, he, uh, he was treating me like a friend, right? Like an equal, inviting me into his home. And I've realized something about hospitality over time. Hospitality is, is not something that you can just take or leave. It's not just a nice thing. 
hospitality is fundamental to the nature of the universe, and I'm not exaggerating there. Uh, this is God's world, but he makes it hospitable for us. And as it were, he invites us to enjoy his world. Look at Lady Wisdom here. Notice, notice what she does in chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Told, Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Wisdom is busy. She's active. She's preparing a feast. And what is the feast that wisdom is preparing? I'd like to say more, but I'll just say three things. First, the, the feast, feast, feasting is always an image of celebration and intimacy. Uh, wisdom is inviting the simple to dine with wisdom, to, to enjoy intimacy with wisdom. Uh, the invitation is come and get to know me. Enjoy my rich fare of meat and wine. Eat in my house. Dine at my table. It's an invitation to intimacy with wisdom. And, and so, too, it's an invitation, as verse 6 puts it, to walk in the way of insight. The, the feast here is a metaphor for partaking of wisdom's fare and so becoming wise. Notice, uh, really, all of verse 6. Verse 6 says, leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. Leave your simple ways, or, or the footnote in the ESV says, leave the company of the simple. Uh, see, sometimes we must cut off other voices so that we can hear the voice of wisdom in our life. And so wisdom is inviting us to fellowship with her to, uh, so, so that we might walk in wisdom. And, and finally, uh, third, the one who put together the book of Proverbs is really inviting us to read this book. Uh, Proverbs 1 through 9 is the introduction to the rest of the book of Proverbs. What we think of as Proverbs, you know, uh, short, pithy, one-liner statements, they really begin in chapter 10. Chapter 10, verse 1 is the first, quote, normal proverb in the book. Uh, the first nine chapters are the writer's exhortation to seek wisdom, which he then collects for us in chapters 10 through 31. And so there's a sense in which it's right to say the book is the feast, Right? The book is the feast prepared for the simple. The invitation is come and enjoy, come and delight, come and eat, come and read, come and become wise. Well, why would that be? Well, because as Jesus says elsewhere, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's, it's God's word that makes wise the simple, according to Psalm 19. The word of God is our food, our drink, our wisdom. And so in a sense, God's word itself is an invitation, uh, an invitation to come and see the world, world rightly. Verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Why is that? Because that's the most fundamental truth about the world. God made it. There's nothing more basic than that. To have an overwhelming sense of God, that he made the world, that he rules the world, right? Only then can you begin to understand all of the individual bits rightly. Otherwise, you're denying those basic foundational truths. So the invitation of wisdom is to come partake of wisdom, feast on wisdom, and begin to see the world for what it really is, so that you can walk in insight and in understanding. Now, a short note about uh, the, the young women in verse 3, 
Uh, we're told she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. One commentator mentions that uh, in the context of the book, wisdom's uh, servant girls or attendants represent the sages such as the father and mother who teach Solomon's wisdom. You, you may know throughout the book uh, of Proverbs, uh, there's these exhortations to my son, right? It's the father and mother calling to the son. And uh, this commentator quotes someone else as saying, this denotes that man does not receive wisdom directly, but through the sages, the prophets, and teachers who invite him to the exalted banqueting hall of wisdom. And so, uh, in a sense, right, I now am the handmaid of wisdom, uh, inviting you to partake of wisdom's fare, inviting you to listen to God's voice rather than the voice of this age. Because notice, wisdom is not the only one with an invitation in this chapter. Look at verses 13 to 17. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. Notice the contrasts between these two women. Wisdom is busy. She's preparing her house. She's slaughtering her beasts. She's mixing her wine. She's setting her table. She's setting out a feast. She's active, engaged, as the Proverbs commend. Folly is just loud, simple-minded, obnoxious, empty-headed. Right? What is she doing? She's sitting. She's lazy. She's taking a seat on the highest places, which may be a sign of putting on airs, actually. Uh, the word for seat is the same word. It's mostly translated throne in the Bible. Only wealthy people had chairs. You might have a bench or a stool or some such thing, but, but a chair, a throne, right? She's taking the place of a ruler, a governor, a queen. And the point is not that she has actual authority, but, but that she pretends that she does. Notice Folly's invitation. At first, it's exactly the same as wisdom's. Word for word, verse 16 and verse 4 are identical. But then Folly says in verse 17, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. See, the invitation of Folly is to elicit pleasure. Right? Why is stolen water sweet? Why is it sweeter than any other water? Well, there is pleasure in the sin itself. This is what Augustine points out when he talks about the pears he used to steal as a boy. Augustine says, Those pears were beautiful, but they were not what my miserable soul loved. I had plenty of better ones, and I plucked them only for the sake of stealing. For once picked, I threw them away. I feasted on the sin, nothing else, and that I relished and enjoyed. Even if some morsel of the pears did enter my mouth, it was only the criminal act that lent its savor. Augustine is just echoing what the Proverbs say, stolen water is sweet. Notice folly's fare is no better than wisdom's. In fact, it's plainer. Uh, wisdom has meat and wine. Folly has only bread and water. So why choose the food of folly? Well, because it's illicit, uh, because it's not allowed. Uh, that alone adds its tempting sweetness. And we'll come back to that in a moment. Here's the point for now. The point is that there are these two invitations in life. One is to live by wisdom, to live in the fear of the Lord, to live knowing that we are in God's world, that, that he created this world, that he rules this world, and so to live in a way consistent with that. God's word is this invitation to us, all of it from Genesis to Revelation, right? God is inviting us to see the world rightly, 
to know him rightly, to know ourselves rightly, to live in his world as his people, delighting in him and honoring him. The other invitation under whatever guise, whatever mask it might come to us, is to find joy ultimately in rejecting God's rule and living a life that is self-ruled. It's what we commonly call sin, right? When, when I reject God's rule and I seek to rule my own life, to run my own life my own way. This invitation is an invitation to a life of folly, a life lived apart from God, apart from his word, apart from his wisdom and his ways. Now, you might be wondering, well, so what? Uh, uh, okay, so we can live as if the God of the Bible exists, and we can live as if the God of the Bible doesn't exist. We can live in enjoying wisdom, or we can live enjoying those things that the world tells us to enjoy. Uh, it sounds like I'm just saying we can live morally or we can live immorally. Uh, but our culture certainly paints the immoral picture as one of much more fun, right? So, so why not go with that? Well, for one, I don't think that's quite what I'm saying. I mean, the scriptures invite us to, to see all of life differently. Uh, it's not simply a matter of obeying a few moral rules. It's, it's a matter of seeing everything in light of the God who is. Living life in relation to a person, in relation to God, uh, accepting his hospitality in his house rather than trying to stage a coup for the house itself. But the other answer to that question, right, why not just follow the world's voice, it brings us to the next point. There are two ends. Two ends. Let's start with the end of folly. Stolen water is sweet, verse 17. And bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. You know, the essence of folly is looking for short-term gains and neglecting long-term loss. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 17 says, Bread gained by deceit is sweet, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel. Bread gained by deceit is sweet to a man, but afterward his mouth will be full of gravel of gravel. What makes sin sweet is often, again, it's illicit nature, but it's a facade, right? It's a, fa a farce. It's empty. The sweetness of sin turns to gravel in our mouths. What a great and terrible image is that. Proverbs 5 puts it this way, My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. See, temptation, right, has many sweet and pleasing qualities. Otherwise, it wouldn't be tempting. But it is brief and fleeting pleasure, but enduring pain and death. It's as simple as this, right? To live life as if God were not God. To live life as if you were God, as if you ran the show, as if you were the master of your own destiny, as if you wrote your own path, as if you were answerable to no one but your own heart, is to live a life of self-deception and ultimately self-destruction. When Adam and Eve first decided to listen to the voice of folly, they saw that the fruit was good for food. 
Stolen water is sweet. They took the forbidden fruit and it turned to gravel in their mouths. Suddenly they knew that they were naked, they were ashamed, and they hid. A life of self-rule will be a life of guilt and shame and ultimately condemnation. Stolen water is sweet, but it turns to gravel in your mouth. But what is the end of wisdom? Again, look at verse 6. Leave your simple ways and live. The end of wisdom is summed up in one word, life. Uh, Verse 11 says, For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. Proverbs 3 verse 18 uh, says that wisdom is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. God offered Adam the tree of life in the beginning, but he preferred folly and the stolen fruit that brings death. Folly continues to hold out a life of self-will and self-determination as that which will satisfy, but it will not. Wisdom says, come, partake of me, and I will be a tree of life. See, God alone knows the path of life. He alone can lead us along that path. And what is it? Well, of course, it's the gospel. Uh, The the gospel is the wisdom of God. Jesus, uh, Paul says, has become for us wisdom. The wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. That, 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 That the God who is high and lifted up would come to dwell with the weak and the lowly. That the Holy One would come not for the righteous but for sinners. That the King would conquer and by being conquered at the cross. That death would be defeated by dying, right? This is the wisdom of God that is the tree of life. This is what we must listen and believe. Yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but Psalm 130 verse 4 says, With you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. See, the path to wisdom is through forgiveness. It's the path of humility. Now, before we move to the last point, I want you to look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. And the point is is plain, I think. It's simple. It's this. Each person is ultimately responsible for his own actions. If you are foolish, you alone will suffer the consequences. If you are wise, you will reap the rewards. Again, it's a warning, right? Which voice will you listen to? The voice of wisdom or the voice of folly? Actions have consequences, right? Every person will be held accountable for what they do in the body, whether good or evil, Paul says. If you decide to live foolishly, you alone will suffer for it. That doesn't mean you won't cause heartache and pain to others along the way. You you likely will. It just means that ultimately the consequences will be yours. If you decide to live wisely, you will be the ultimate beneficiary, right? Again, it doesn't mean that others won't benefit from your wisdom. If you live wisely, you will bless others but you yourself will be blessed above all. Which, of course, brings us then to our final point. Two voices, wisdom and folly, right? God and the world. Two invitations to partake of wisdom, to partake of sin. Two ends, life and death, and three kinds of people. There's this little intermission uh, between the two invitations of wisdom and folly uh, in verses 7 through 9. Verse 7 says, whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. 
And here in these verses, there are two kinds of people, the wicked scoffer and the righteous wise man. Right? Two people, one, one refuses correction, the other accepts it. Uh, but notice the invitations of both wisdom and folly are addressed in verses four, 4 and verse 16, are addressed neither to the scoffer nor to the wise man, but to the simple. Now, the simple are those who are easily misled. The, the NASB uses naive. Uh, Old Testament scholar Bruce Walkie uses the word gullible. Uh, he says it means to allow oneself to be persuaded. Uh, and, and precisely because the simple are easily persuaded, uh, they can also be taught. And so Proverbs 1.4, the book of Proverbs is written to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Uh, Proverbs 8.5 says, O simple ones, learn prudence. And so the simple are, are, the, are, are open to being led or misled. Hence why both wisdom and folly cry out to them. But their simple-mindedness, uh, it's not innocence. That's where we often uh, mistake. Proverbs 1.22 says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? See, there's a certain carefreeness to being noncommittal. But Proverbs 1.32 says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. Right? Uh, being noncommittal toward God is, in the end, the same as committing against Him. So the truth of the matter is, that there's really only one kind of person, right? We're all simple, easily led, easily misled. The question is, what will we do with that? If we say, I'm not simple, we claim to be wise and we become fools. The ultimate end is to, to mock those who believe, right? The simple becomes the scoffer. When we say, I know better, I'm no fool, I won't believe that Bible nonsense, I'm not going to be taken in. The simple becomes the scoffer by digging in his heels. Or he can become wise. How does one become wise? Um, fundamentally, there are, I think, two guiding principles in Proverbs. Uh, the first is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We keep coming back to this. To become wise, one must know God. And, and it's more than just head knowledge, right? It's not just knowing a few facts about God. To fear God is to be consumed with the thought of Him, His power, His wisdom, His love. Fear of God is this overwhelming sense of who God is in all that He is. So to grow in wisdom is to grow in the fear of the Lord. But second, Proverbs uh, chapter 18, verse 15 says, An intelligent heart acquires knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeks knowledge. And verse 9 in our text says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. See, what makes someone wise is not that he is wise. It's not that he has arrived, but it's that he seeks wisdom. Wise people are not perfect people, right? Sometimes they do wrong. Uh, verse 8 says, reprove a wise man and he will love you. He needs reproof because he does wrong, but he accepts reproof because he is wise. See, we're all simple, but we either accept that we are simple and seek wisdom, in which case we become wise, or we reject the fact that we are simple, we harden our hearts to the truth, we claim to be wise and so become fools and ultimately scoffers. Who will you be? Right? Which path will you take? Which voice will you listen to? This is God's house, His world, His, his water, His food, His wine. 
He invites you to a feast. Why are you out back trying to drink out of his garden hose? Listen to his voice and become wise. Now maybe, maybe I convinced you, maybe you were already convinced, right? You need to listen to God's voice, but you're wondering how. Right? What does it actually look like? Um, let me just say a few quick suggestions briefly. Things that are obvious. As soon as I say them, you'll be like, yeah, okay, that's what I expected you to say. But, uh, <laughs> but, but things that we need to hear right? again and again. Uh, here's, here's the first thing. Uh, go to church. Um, uh, doesn't have to be this church, right? But go to some good church that preaches the Bible and listen to the word preached week after week. Listen to God's voice. Uh, read your Bible at home. Spend time in God's Word. And of course, whether you listen or whether you read, don't just listen and read. Right? Meditate on what you listen and read. Let it sink in. Mull it over. Let it permeate your thoughts. Right? Uh, the, the Puritans used to talk about the fact that it was better to read, you know, better to read three verses and then meditate on them than to read three chapters and just walk away without thinking about it. Right? Let God's Word sink in. To your soul. Uh, another thing, memorize the Bible. Uh, I, I know that people think that they can't memorize. Uh, people think that they don't have a good memory. I have a terrible memory. Just ask Deborah and the boys. They will tell you. Uh, but everyone can memorize. Uh, it just takes work. Right? It takes effort. Um, you know, start with a short verse that's meaningful to you and read it again and again out loud until it sinks in, until you can say it without looking at it, right? And then go over it the next day and the next day and the next day. Everyone can memorize. It's just a matter of, of being willing to do the work and put in the time, right? To take God's word and uh, hide it in your heart, as uh, Psalm 119 says. Uh, another thing, talk about the Bible with other believers. Um, if you want God's voice to permeate your life, find other people who are willing to talk about it with you. And as you wrestle with it together, it becomes more meaningful, more real, as you wrestle with, what, what does this mean? How does this apply? What does this look like in my life? Uh, finally, talk about it with non-Christians, right? Nothing confronts our lack of Bible knowledge like talking with people who don't believe it. And that's good. That's a good thing. Uh, talk with them. Be honest. Seek answers to their question. Let, let their questions drive you back to Scripture. Find somebody who will read through the Bible with you and go on a journey of discovery with them. God will bless that as you seek to listen to his voice together. And of course, here's the point. The point is there are these two voices. And the only way to have God's voice shape you more than that of the world is to actively listen to his voice, to take it into your soul, to allow God's wisdom to have its way with you. So however you might do it, right, listen to God's voice. That's the, the first step in the Christian life, right? That, these are the baby steps, the ABCs of following Jesus. Listen to God's voice. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, uh, ears to hear your word. Uh, help us to listen, to actively listen, to seek out your word, to, 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 to uh, read it, uh, hear it, memorize it, meditate on it, love it, delight in it, cherish it, mull it over. We pray that your word would be central to our, our thoughts, our loves, our delights, our community, our church. Uh, we pray that you would 
Uh, guide us and shape us by your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.